Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Podcast, where I interview founders and co-founders, entrepreneurs and artists, executives and stay-at-home hipsters in crypto and blockchain around the world. And I have an amazing podcast for you today. Let's get to it. And today, it's an honor and a privilege to introduce to you Fran Strajnar, who is the director of TechEmit and the chief executive officer of Brave New Coin uh, down in New Zealand. Welcome to the show. Great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. Uh, could you please uh, tell us, uh, tell our audience um, a little bit about about your background and what uh, what it relates to what you're doing now, please? Yeah, so discovered Bitcoin a very long time ago. I think I mined the first Bitcoin on my laptop back in mid-2010 and then kind of ignored it and uh, rediscovered the white paper in early 13 and realized that this is a fourth super class of assets and that money is now digital and truly digital and therefore programmable. And therefore, uh, the world's going to need a heck of a lot of infrastructure, right? Um, so we started Brave New Coin, which is uh, an infrastructure-focused business uh, looking at the sort of benchmark administration, uh, the data and data infrastructure sides of the industry. So that's um, a wide variety of uh, derivatives and instruments for cryptocurrencies can, uh, you know, flourish, and data can go from on-chain activity through up to uh, the legacy worlds, you know, uh, the Nasdaqs and Bloombergs of this world can ingest and distribute data to a bigger, wider audience. Uh, so been working on that for uh, a number of years. Uh, it's uh, ticking along quite nicely, uh, lots of interest now. And over the years, we've um, founded a few other companies that help along the way, including our uh, stablecoin project, TechMint, and as well as TechMe Capital which is uh, in the business of creating DeFi instruments and funds management. Excellent. Uh, you, you said uh, partnerships, and I wanted to point one up recently. You know, what caught my attention was just a simple article, um, but I read a lot of it into it. It said, uh, you know, Ledger X recently announced that they uh, will be offering digital currency perpetuals using Brave New Coins price feeds and i'm interested to find out you know what are these perpetual crypto products i've heard of derivatives but with perpetual products and how do these products and solutions help drive institutional adoption into crypto sure yeah i'll break that down for you so uh, essentially Let's start with Ledger X. So Ledger X has as a business that has been going through the CFTC certification and successfully attained it um, in the United States. Uh, recently, they're getting close to launch and final regulatory clearances. Um, but you know, I can't speak on their behalf in terms of uh, the timing for their regulatory process. But for all intents and purposes, this will essentially be a competitor to the CME, uh, which is a very large mercantile exchange um, offering a wide variety of derivatives, including uh, futures contracts. 
So I'm not sure where the word perpetuals came from. It might have been a third-party um, article that you read that used that term. Uh, but Ledger X is looking to offer um, futures contracts uh, on set uh, frequencies, say quarterlies, and uh, probably more a higher cadence than that contracts as well. Um, and that allows users to essentially um, buy the future price, whether they think it's lower or higher, uh, now um, as, a, as a financial instrument through their brokerage accounts. So the key about LedgerX is that it's being a fully CFTC um, you know, compliant and certified operation. Um, we're talking about distribution. So that's really the key here. It's about the distribution uh, of cryptocurrency asset class to a wider uh, audience for conventional channels. Uh, so we're really excited about this partnership. Uh, we're supplying them the uh, high-speed indices uh, that are used in their um, uh, liquidation and uh, trading engine, and uh, i.e. to settle against and mark to market against. Um, and we expect, we assume that uh, they will expand uh, into a wider range of uh, cryptocurrencies, but again, again, we can't speak for their roadmap. We're just happy to support their requirements as they launch and scale. Now, you said a key word there was distribution, right? So at TechEmit, your focus is on providing a full vertical of the integration of the crypto value chain. And what is that full vertical and how do its elements work together to provide that optimal business framework strategy? Yeah, for full vertical integration, it's a bit of a buzzword and a mouthful. I, I appreciate that. But all it really means is that we can cater to all of business solution selling, right? We can um, do a turnkey solution uh, for whether it be uh, onboarding investors and looking after their holistic needs of whatever their portfolio is uh, looking to achieve or whether it be product focused where we don't need to use third parties uh, to build our products and distribute our products and list our products so we also own an exchange in new zealand which is dacetx.com so to give you an example of that uh, vertical integration we also own blockchain labs which is a, a development business that specializes in blockchain architecture and solution design consulting so we were able to um, build the technical considerations required for the New Zealand dollar stablecoin using uh, blockchain lamps. Uh, we were able to create a, um, a custody business, essentially, which is what uh, Tickament really is, is a bearer trust that holds the dollars. Um, and we do proof of reserves uh, audits to show that you know for every dollar that comes in, there is in fact only one token in existence, you know one to one backed. And then we own our own exchange so that we can then take that NZDS token and we can list it on a secondary market, making it available for retail investors. So that's all that uh, vertical integration really means is that we have all the puzzle pieces and we've built those out of the last many many years. Um, and we can then quickly build, you know, go from concepts to, to builds to distribution ourselves. So uh, your company created the uh, New Zealand dollar, uh, digital digital dollar, right? 
uh, stablecoin, you know, using blockchain technology. What were some of the major challenges facing? Well, what are some of the major challenges facing the stablecoin market today? And how do you see these challenges playing out in the short, medium, and long term? Yeah, sure. So, look, I can say that uh, being the first is always the hardest. And for the New Zealand dollar stablecoin, we were definitely not the first stablecoin in existence. Tether came about for USD stablecoin a few years ago now. Uh, first using the uh, Bitcoin blockchain and then eventually to Ethereum, and now it's available for multiple chains. So over the last 12 months in particular, um, the infrastructure within the blockchain sector has improved uh, and matured to the point where the components and puzzle pieces are uh, stable enough to create scalable solutions. So that meant that we didn't have to, um, like most of the focus went on the legal side of things. So we were the first to do a New Zealand dollar stablecoin within the context of the New Zealand jurisdiction and legal framework. So, uh, you know, 90% of the cost to get this up and running went to the lawyers. <laughs> um, whereas the technology itself was relatively simple. Uh, we have the programmers, uh, as, as mentioned, from Blockchain Labs, and we decided to use the open source uh, code from uh, Center slash circle, which is the uh, consortium behind the USDC stablecoin. Their code base is not only you know MIT open source, but um, has been exhaustively audited. Uh, it also contains the necessary features that we sought and required to be compliant in operating our stablecoin. And in the future, by using the same code base as um, that well-developed USDC standard, um, we hope that it also affords us future uh, synergy with other issuers of other assets using that same standards uh, globally. So the challenges um, are a lot less for us technologically today than they would have been, say, two, three years ago. Uh, they're mainly regulatory, and we got through those by meticulously going through, you know, and combing every uh, possible consideration. Um, and we arrived at a legal structure and solution design that um, is comfortable for us as operators of this business, and more importantly, uh, comfortable for the user. They need to know that, you know, these coins are actually backed by something. Um, and they want to see it on chain and they want to be able to access it through uh, third party wallets and apps and exchanges and all sorts. And it's a freely transferable ERC20 type token um, that allows uh, for, for that great user experience with those features. Great. Um, you know, with the, with the stable coin and uh, some of the other issues, you know, going on with like, as far as like data privacy and um, KYC, how do you see, you know, getting ahead in the game, resolving some of these issues before they grow worse out there in the market? Uh, yeah, sure. So I do strongly believe that technology is capable of streamlining um, transactions and solving problems, particularly in the financial world where 
organizations, including you know our exchange and Tegument itself, we're being asked to um, expose ourselves to more and more personal information from our clients to be able to perform more and more you know enhanced uh, KYC, AML, and CFT, uh, FATCA, and so on and so forth. Uh, the you know compliance requirements are always growing. So how do we how do we streamline that and allow for the user to uh, quickly do what they need to do with uh, the minimal amount of time? Um, the answer is that I believe eventually we're going to see a uh, industry adopted self sovereign identity app that comes with a wallet. Um, I can talk uh, a lot about that, but I won't at this time. Uh, I will say, however, that um, compliance currently is on the uh, top of the funnel, if you will. So if you enter through and speak to techamint.com, uh, we will KYC you and we can sell to you as wholesale you know, 100K minimum at a time, and you can buy directly from the Mint. And those that want a perfect hedge and be able to redeem directly from the Mint uh, would be interested in buying through the Mint. Whereas most people will simply buy this on exchanges. And so that's a different top of the funnel, if you will. And they would have to KYC with the exchange. Even if it's our, our own exchange, DASIT, it's a separate business and therefore separate KYC process. Um, but what we're seeing in the DeFi sector is, um, I guess, rapid innovation where, you know, anybody can look at the CRC20 uh, NZD stablecoin and choose to integrate it into their DeFi products or their vaults or their farm or their uh, payment application. Uh, you know, it could be a fintech uh, mobile payment solution decides to uh, add a wallet, a crypto wallet to their, um, to their solution, you know, their everyday payment solution. And then they can add NZDS as something that the user can store in that wallet. And so the onus would be on the operator of that payment solution uh, regarding the uh, KYC if, if they need to on that or not. Um, think of DeFi, uh, you know, decentralized finance as as mycelium. You know, it's under the ground. It's it's all connected. And then a mushroom pops up here and there and elsewhere. But it's all the same liquidity, right? It's all the same solution. Um, and it's just simply expressed differently depending whether it's, you know, through a um, DeFi product or a centralized exchange or um, maybe, uh, a wallet of some sort, you know, uh, NZDS will simply pop up everywhere. And we truly hope that now that we've digitized the New Zealand dollar, this is going to motivate, you know, uh, upstarts and startups to um, integrate into DS and build products. You know, we, we foresee an, an entire companies being founded and erected on the, on the back of uh, a digitized NZ dollar finally coming to the market. So yes, you say you mentioned DeFi. That's one of the two really hot areas right now. The other is non-fungible tokens. So how do you see this playing out in the non-fungible token space? Is it similar? Or? Yeah, well, look, NFTs mean, you know, if I give you one NZDS dollar and then uh, I give you a second one, they're fungible. It doesn't matter which one you use to make uh, a payment with. Um, it would be 
counterproductive to issue stable coins as NFTs. It's like walking into a shop and the shopkeeper says, no, 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 I need that specific $10 notes, not that other $10 notes, right? So stable coins will more than likely stay purely fungible and avoid NFTs. Uh, if they do anything of NFTs, which we certainly won't at Tickerman's, um, it'll be for promotional purposes uh, as opposed to the actual product itself. Um, yeah, NFTs are really blowing up right now. Um, you know, first and foremost uh, for artists, um, you know, non-fungible token has a different term and it's called a deed, right? So you've got this deed towards a particular thing. Your token is a deed towards your piece of art or a toaster or your cat or whatever you want that token NFT to represent, a house title perhaps in the future. So um, I think it's quite unfortunate that um, NFTs are called uh, and used so synonymously um, as NFTs because everyone thinks NFTs equals artwork. Um, but what we're going to see is NFTs for all sorts of use cases that you can't even imagine right now. Like imagine an NFT that you never actually know you have, um, which is a uh, proof that that particular PDF on your laptop is uh, that particular PDF on your laptop, right? You could you create an NFT for every type of file on your machine, um, and that's got uh, machine to machine uh, properties and usefulness, mm -hmm. which is quite a big sector to do with IoT. So. One of the challenges I noticed in your region, similar to what we have in the year in the U.S. and regarding all these uh, tokens, refundable tokens or not, or you know, is recognized that we recognize with the Libra, Libra project, were concerns over regulation. And what are some of the issues that you see as far as regulation and the challenges the governments face when looking to protect consumers and investors, and what role could Brave New Coin play? In paving the way uh, for that regulation as a leader, for example. Yeah, sure. You bring up Libra, which is interesting because it's essentially Facebook that wanted to create their own currency, global currency, and act as a central bank or even as the Bank of International Settlements. Right? There's never been so much consolidation of power in the history of mankind. There's a quote just last week where somebody said that Mark Zuckerberg has control over three billion people. There's never been a king on the planet with uh, you know that many people under under their control. So it was no surprise that the original Libra concept was shot down because thankfully we have some regulation that uh, you know looked at this and said this is far too much power into uh, you know technology giants' hands. Um, they're already thinking about breaking up these giant monopolies of Twitter, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, and others because they just wield too much um, data and too much power, and they can change the opinion of an entire nation, right? If they, um, you know, through the uh, back-end data analytics and the way they serve content specifically according to whatever desires themselves and their advertisers need, putting a currency on top of that is one step towards um, you know a bit of a totalitarian nightmare, quite frankly. So I'm less concerned about the regulation of Libra. 
Uh, and JP Morgan created JP Morgan coin, and that's fine. I'll probably use it for you know, back-end settlement or um, you know, enterprise remittance between uh, federated companies, uh, you know, especially conglomerates that have multiple offices in multiple countries and all kinds of FX and Forex considerations and all the rest. Um, but, you know, in a world where we're already seeing fiscal and monetary policy um, consolidating into the hands of central banks and away from governments and therefore the people, um, I am quite opposed to, um, you know, how some of this technology is uh, slowly being weaponized, quite frankly. Um, the, the ultimate thing we don't want to see is essentially a, a Chinese-style um, social credit system combined with a central bank digital currency because then you know anything you do or you're accidentally um, standing next to somebody that's got a bad profile and the CCTV cameras see that you're in proximity and associate with that person they could just freeze or delete your wealth if they don't like what the algorithm is uh, telling them that they think that you're doing. So, you know, the unintended consequences of um, this technology is something I've been talking about for a very long time. Um, and with the NZDS, you know, the way that we constructed it is that it's freely transferable between uh, parties once they have the tokens in their wallets. Um, so the open source, um, freely you know, consensus driven open blockchain uh, is a preferred you know, uh, set of drivers and features. So you, that's interesting that you said talk, uh, spoke that way because today I heard under what, somebody speaking about Bitcoin and somebody speaking about Litecoin on Twitter, and they use this word altruism, and it just popped it just popped in my head when you were speaking there altruism. How do you see the benefits of altruism playing out with your company and then general overall in the market? Um, over this next, you know, couple of years or so. That's a big question. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, look, a lot of people say that Bitcoin is essentially uh, free speech. You know, um, I had Andreas Antonopoulos come to one of the conferences that I hosted here in New Zealand, and he had a really interesting way of describing it. He said, um, you know. Uh, Imagine the government banning smoke signals or imagine the government banning um, you know, emojis on your favorite chat application because what you can do is you can actually remit a Bitcoin transaction. As long as the recipient knows how to decode it, you can actually embed a transaction inside of, I think, 120-something emojis, right? So um, try try censoring that, and I think that's quite interesting because then you have this um, decentralized currency where the supply is absolute and predictable. You know, there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. Um, there's more and more use case uh, for Bitcoin. More and more people um, are picking it up for various use, whether it's store value or some other application, and None of the Bitcoin is attached to any debt whatsoever. So it's not a debt-based monetary system, which is what the entire world is currently um, uh, operating within. So, you know, at, at the Tecumi Group, we walked the, um, the middle of the line. We 
try to be as innovative as possible and push ideas to their to their limits. And we've done a whole series of world firsts from security tokens to DeFi to all sorts, oracles and on. Um, but we're you know, regulated. We're licensed and registered depending on the activity in the company in question. And we've got um, legals that are XPWC partners, compliance officers, and um, you know, we, we try and do things as by the book as we can while being innovative. So that's speaking for us that we're in the middle of that road, whereas, um, you know, for the rest of the world, I see it as one giant battle. Um, well, firstly, what's really going on on a macro level is the digitization of value with the advent of blockchain and then the advent of ERC-20 token standard and all these other blockchains where you can tokenize different types of um, tokens, fungible or not. Um, essentially, we're slowly going through a multi-decade wave globally of digitizing value. This is the rise of the alternate financial system because it's just far too destructive to uh, have one giant collapse in the legacy system and then scramble to start from fresh. It's better to inflate a limp balloon, which is plan B, you know, crypto, slowly inflating it while slowly deflating the overextended uh, existing balloon, which is the you know legacy financial architecture globally, and so I see the world as um, you know this this wave of value digitization for the next two decades, and in that process, it's a battle between using blockchain technology to essentially streamline efficiencies and eradicate middlemen and. Um, you know, basically replicating what we currently do in the real world, but with blockchain. And some of it's not really blockchain, it's not open, it's, you know, DLT or centralized solutions, which all have their use cases and specific verticals and all the rest, and that's fine. But it's, um, it's using this technology to do what we currently do, but better. Versus completely unstoppable decentralized financial automata. Right, so it's um, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs where the ownership of a revenue or a business or an asset doesn't have a human being and has people that hold the tokens and those tokens represent a slice of the ownership. Um, and then you could program these uh, decentralized financial automata to do things, right? So imagine that um, some automated system is earning revenue and then it can go and hire itself more server space or it can rent itself a fleet of drones with cameras to perform an action to increase its revenue or whatever the case is and um you know it'll be a battle between that sort of uh uncensorable unstoppable uh, radical innovation uh on on that front and some people do things just for the sake of being able to do things uh, you know, I'll write a contract to send random money to a random address or something like that. Uh, some do it for artwork, some do it for nefarious reasons. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of intellectual stimulation involved in a lot of this stuff as well. So it attracts a lot of um, pedigree and it attracts a wide, uh, diverse range of people that want to experiment and tinker away and, and all the rest. And so, you know, somewhere hopefully like water in a bowl, it's uh, just well, the world will end up not with not what we expect from blockchain it never is what we expect of technology as the end game 
Um, but we'll find something that's in that middle that's not, you know, uh, degrading our, our rights and freedoms and privacy, and that is not totally destructive and decentralized and damaging, you know, retail investors or whatever the case might be. And we're going to see a, a whole kaleidoscope of disasters along the way. It's just inevitable. Um, but yeah, we wouldn't want to be doing anything else. It's uh, it's an interesting industry to be involved with. In my yeah, I, I've been in this space for four years, and I don't see myself wanting to do anything else. You know, um, it's been really <laughs> exciting and interesting to me. And uh, so, I want to thank you today for your time, and it's been a great conversation. One last question is: if, for people who want to reach you, contact you, find out more about you, how can they do that? Yeah, sure. So you can hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find there. Uh, pretty unique name, I guess. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm, I'm not really active on Twitter. I use it to receive information more than distribute it, if you will. But my handle there is at Techemist, T-E-C-H-E-M-I-S-T. Um, or you can go to bravenewcoin.com or techemist.com and uh, finds out all about us and our products on those websites. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.